Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guests, Spike Lee and Zara Abrahams. How are you doing, Zara? Good. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. And uh, we have a film. The new Spike Lee joint is called The Sweet Blood of Jesus. Check the movie out. It'll be a great, great, great dating film. I agree. <laughs> so, why don't you, Zara, why don't you first tell our audience how you got to be in the film? Um, well, it all started with a tweet um, from a friend of mine called Will, who is an NYU grad student, and... Um, He's a, he gets he was taught by Spike, um, but he tweeted me saying that one of his fellow students were doing a thesis called Black Girl in Paris. Would I be interested in reading the script? Um, and I was like, mm. <laughs> um, and I said, yep, yeah, sure, send it over. And um, when I read the script, I thought it was fantastic. And I tweeted him back saying, yes, I'd love to um, audition for the role. Um, I put myself on tape and we had various meetings um, over Skype with Keandra Parts, who is the director and the writer of Black Girl in Paris. Um, so we filmed that in Paris and uh, she did reference to Spike a lot throughout filming because she looked at him as a mentor. So she would always say, Spike said I should approach this this way, this way. So he was always in in the room sort of and and then the following year um she showed spike the movie in post-production and he saw my big head on that screen and he asked her for my details he emailed me um and i didn't reply <laughs> uh, because firstly i thought maybe it's not really him and then when I didn't reply, he called me and was like, is this Zara? I was like, yes. He was like, this is Spike, Spike Lee. I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> Did you get my email? Yes. Why didn't you reply? Um, <laughs> so uh, I just said, I don't know. Um, he said that he had a script and he'd like me to read for one of the roles. He flew down to London um, and I had a casting in London and then I went, I flew out to New York for the screen test. And then the day after the screen test, we went on like what, a two and a half hour walk around New York over Brooklyn Bridge. He showed me everything and then we went and got pancakes and he was said, I'd like you to be ganja. And I was like, really? And that's how it all began. It's all true. And uh, <laughs> for those who don't know, this film, The Sweet Blood of Jesus, is a reimagination, reimagining of the cult classic film called Ganja and Hess, written and directed by Bill Gunn, made during the black exploitation era but it was not a black exploitation film. And it's funny how this whole thing, NYU keeps playing with this, this whole story. I graduated from the 
New York University, New York University Graduate Film School, 1982. Ang Lee and Ernest Dickinson were my classmates. Ernest Dickinson went on, he shot all my films at NYU, then went on shoot, then he was the DP on, the cameraman on School Days, excuse me, in order. She's gonna have it, School Days, Do the Right Thing, Mo Better, Malcolm X, and then after Malcolm X, he directed Tupac and Juice. So when Ernest came to NYU, he always wanted to be a director, but he was such an outstanding cinematographer, he used that as his entree to get into directing. So I've been a teacher at NYU for 15 years. Uh, this past summer, I got tenure. I'm also an artistic director of the film school. So my students affect me. It's because of my student's thesis film, I was able to see Zara's talent. And also, it was my students who hit me to crowdsourcing because I never heard of Indiegogo. I never heard of Kickstarter. And they were using crowdsourcing to finance their films. And several of my students said, Spike, you should try it. And then I did a lot of research. I called up two of the three founders of Kickstarter, and they gave me a crash course in how not to six, not to not, how to not fail doing Kickstarter. What's up, John Ridley? I see you in the back, baby. My man, John Ridley, he's going to be here right after me. Give love to John Ridley, please. Won an Academy Award for his script, 12 Years a Slave. Got a new joint coming out, American Crime, March 5th, ABC. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> so, as a teacher, you can learn from your students. And as I was saying to Zara, we've been doing interviews all day. You never know where things are going to take you. She got a tweet from nowhere to being a student film. And being in that film, I saw her. And then I cast her in uh, The Sweet Blood of Jesus. So for anybody out there, when you get an opportunity and you say, oh, this shit ain't going to lead to nothing, motherfucking. I'm, I'm, like, well, I'm not going to waste my motherfucking time. There's some bullshit over here. There's some fucking bullshit. I don't even know fuck what motherfuckers crazy. You never know. You never know. This is evidence of it right here. And that could have been the greatest opportunity in your life. And you let it slip through your fingers because you thought it was some bullshit. And you ain't got time for that. But if you're committed and ever you want to do whatever you want to do, you're going to, let's see what happens. Give it your best. Let's see what happens. Because you never know where something's going to lead. You just don't know. True. Agreed. So, Zara. Yeah. Let's talk about the black Brit evasions. <laughs> the evasion of, of yourself. A whole lot of people. Goo goo, David. Um, I just think that America is presenting itself to have so much opportunity for black actors and it just so happens that us Brits seem to have something you like and uh, <laughs> um, it's wonderful I mean I feel so welcome here and it's so incredible to have such diverse material um, offered to me just to read 
that doesn't mean I'm going to be cast, but just to read it is such a privilege. And I just hope that we continue to show off what we're brewing back home in, uh, in England, in London. And Zara, what, what is the next job you have? Why don't you give everybody a little hint? Or just tell them. Um, I will be filming The Nick um, in, starting in February. Um, which Directed by who? Directed by Steven Soderbergh. Starring? Clive Owen. Um, so I'm sure we're going to, uh, you know, discuss how you work, Spike. Me and Clive will have a few stories to tell. But Soderbergh, he's a maniac. He edits, he yeah. shoots, he directs. He, he does it all. Does it all. Yes, yeah, so I'm excited about that. Yes, as, as we said before, this was a, a Kickstarter project. And the great, great Bruce Hornsby did the score for the film. He also did the score for the Red, uh, Red, Red Hook Summer and then a lot of songs for the other films. But keeping with the spirit of Kickstarter, I knew I needed, in addition to Bruce Hornsby's score, we needed songs. So using my social media, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook, I put a call out for unsigned artists to submit, their, to submit their songs to be in the film. Got 800 songs were submitted. I listened to every single one of them, and we chose 12, and we were very fortunate that L.A. Reid at, at, at Epic Records gave us the soundtrack. So that was what you were hearing before. You should really check it out. It's on iTunes. And hopefully these Einstein artists will get a, a deal. Yeah. If they wish one. If they, if they wish for one. So we're very excited about this project. And again, with the spirit of the Kickstarter, we did a thing that's not done a lot. We released a film online before we had theatrical release. This, we're only gonna have, how many theaters we're gonna be in? 10? No, I think it's 15 cities, 15 cities. And so there are a lot of people who wanna see my films, but when you have the small release, the small limited releases, they have to wait till forever. So this way we give an opportunity to see it first, and then we'll have a theatrical release which comes out this Friday. Yes, is that cue for the trailer? Yes, let's play the trailer. Dr. Green, would you like to see what we found? A thousand years before the Egyptians performed surgery, Ashanti surgeons came up with the idea of transfusing blood from the strong and healthy to the queen. The entire population became addicted to blood. Queen Helga raised armies and destroyed the nearby lands in a series of blood wars. I believe the Ashanti evolved a need for blood, not a passion for it, it was a need. Drinking blood is a very antisocial act, unless we happen to exist in a blood society. The United States of America is the most violent country in the world. We're the best in the business. I want to talk to you about your new book. Which I liked. But I don't like what you're saying in it. Mm. It's not... V8. Ah! 
impeccable grounds. You must be doing all right. I get by. So why do you live in this big house all on your lonesome? I love it, the way it might be possible to love you. Any questions? Do we have polls have microphones? Let's speak up so everybody can hear your questions. Hi. How are you doing? How are you? Good. Where are you from? Well, I'm Japanese. How are you? I'm a big fan. But Thank the you. first, what's your name? Zara. Zara. Say, yeah. Congratulations. You are so cute. Oh. Hey, yeah. Hey, hey. Then, uh, hey, hey, good hey, 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 hey. <laughs> You're cute too. You're cute too. <laughs> So congratulations for your all your success and good luck. Thank you and so much. Spike, I'm your big fan. I don't know Thank how you. many times I saw do the right thing. Yeah. Twenty times, right? Ah, uh, like uh, fifty times at least. Fifty. Yeah. Fight the power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so actually, my question: You made so many great movies with Denzel. Yes. Like a uh, moment of Bruce and uh, Malcolm X. Uh, yes. He got game. Yes. Inside Man. Yes. So do you have a plan to you know? Make a pro, you know, movie with him again. Oh, then, uh, then one more. Uh, do you have a favorite actor? Then you wanna work, you know, someday. Thank you so much. I'm honored to meet you. Thank, thank you. you. Oh. Yeah. Well, I would love to do. Thank you. I love to do the fifth film, fifth, the fifth film with Denzel, as you said before. In order, Mo Better Blues, Malcolm X. He got Game Inside Man. So it's just a matter of trying to find the material that's that's gonna make Denzel say, let's do it. I sent, when I wrote, he got game, I had Denzel in, in mind, but I never told him about it. So I just said, Denzel, I called him up. I got a script for him. He said, send it. Next he said, you wrote that? I said, yeah, I wrote that. He said, let's go. So uh, we just got to find the material for Denzel. Oh, actor I like to work with, I haven't worked with. Uh, Sean Penn. Why are you hating on Sean Penn? Great actor. Yes. I'm a really big fan. It's nice to see you here. I have Thank a question you. about um, your relation to black sports. I'm sorry, black sportsation films, and um, what what encouraged you or what inspired you to make Ganjan has as a remake? What was the first part about sports? Black sportsation. Black exploitation. Oh, black exploitation. Black exploitation. Black exploitation. Well, as I said before, I saw the film while I was in film school, and even though it was meant to be a, a black exploitation film, Bill Gunn turned it around because at that they wanted this film to cover the the being the tale to duplicate to duplicate the success of Blackula. You know what the sequel to Blackula was? Scream, Blackula, Scream. And Bill Gunn knew he wasn't going to do that, but the guys gave him the money, so he tried to, he did. He made something different, and when the producers saw it, 
they snatched the film for him, recut it, put it out with four different titles. But luckily, there was one print left, which MoMA still has. And you can get it online and DVD, the Bill Gunn's version. Um, my name is Earl, big fan of yours. Um, happy to be here. Um, just looking at your films and looking at the, um, the way they deal with your home, your home of Brooklyn, like I remember watching Red Hook Summer and really connecting with that because it went back to Brooklyn. Do you plan on doing more films like that in the future that kind of explore where you come from on a deeper level and maybe even connect to the psyche yeah, of Yeah, I got a script. That's a motherfucker. <laughs> just got to get the money. It's called MJ Loves Brooklyn. So get the money for that. You'll like that too. How you doing? My name is Will. I'm a big fan of Spike. Zara, since this is your first major motion picture, was it uncomfortable doing nude scenes or the Very. sex scenes? <laughs> um, it, yeah, it was. Um, but Spike made it very easy in a way. It was a closed set. We talked about it a lot. We'd rehearsed, you know, the movement of it. It's it's always uncomfortable. Um, Ruth Carter, who did it's the uncomfortable costume. uncomfortable direct too. Yeah. Ruth Carter, who did the costume for the movie, she was there. Jojo, who did the makeup for the movie, they were there like, it's okay, baby. It's okay. Um, so, but yeah, it was, it was uncomfortable. And especially, um, it was just a hard shoot. So you didn't really have a, a, you didn't have a lot of time to gear yourself up to it because it was 16 days. So it was like, we've got to do it now. We've got to get it done. But like I said, it was a close set. Spike was there. Um, just Daniel... Sound was already set up in the room, so we got through it. We did it a couple of times. There were a few crazy suggestions. <laughs> I was like, no, I can't do it. But it was fine. For Zara too, what was your biggest um, challenge in this character? How did you prepare for it, and what was unexpected in the shooting for you? Um, the biggest challenge for me was making sure that she was the strong black woman that Spike had written, uh, but making sure that she wasn't so hard that other females didn't relate to her. So I wanted to make sure that when she did fall in love with Hess, um, it was a gentle journey, and so it seemed honest. Um, it was challenging for me to do the killing scene, very challenging. I really had to, um, uh, it, was, it was difficult for me to realize the strength of humans when they're faced with life and death situations, if it's you or me. So it was, it was hard to feel that strength from myself. Um, what was the rest of the question, sorry? It's okay, okay. <laughs> this question is for Zara. How you doing? Hi. Hey. Uh, Two-part question. Uh, one being, um, you're saying uh, the opportunities for you as a black actress out here in the U.S. Is it more so opportunity out here in the U.S. or is it find it the same opportunities out there in uh, in uh, Britain? Um, I found it. I found America to have more opportunity for me personally, especially being in a kind of transitional age where, you know, I not don't know if I'm quite seen as a mature woman yet. So for me, America has given me the opportunities to be mid twenties, early, you know, coming up to my thirties. So they've given me the opportunity more than Britain. And I'm not an aspiring actor, actress, or whatever. But your process, as far as getting into the role and 
uh, your journey, how was that as far as now coming into this opportunity uh, working for Spike Lee? It, it was it was a great journey. We had um, we had lots of rehearsal time, and I just had to make sure that I really focused on the journey of all the characters in the script to make sure that it was really truthful, and that when we got there, we didn't have time to waste. So I needed to make sure that I could flip in and out of her quite quickly, which meant I spent a lot of time listening to music and trying to watch other movies that ignited feelings in me that I would have to portray in this film. Um, hello. Congratulations to both of you, first of all. Um, this looks like a great movie. Can't wait to see it. Um, I'm, I would obviously have more questions after I saw it, but I did want to say to Zara, um, congratulations on your role with the Nick. That's so awesome. I wanted to know um, how that happened since you explained how you got to work with Spike? Um, well, it's, I, this, the Nick was my 307th video casting. And it was November and um, the audition came through to put myself on tape. And to be honest, I was feeling a little bit down um, like I said, 307 auditions in that year and I hadn't heard back from any. So when I got this tape, I took the same attitude, like, okay, I'm going to do my best. And uh, my friend, I called her and said, can you put me on tape? She's like, I've only got about 20 minutes. I was like, okay. So I read the, I read the sides and she came over and literally I recorded, there's one white wall in my house. So I had to squeeze in front of the white wall and she recorded me on my iPhone and um, sent the tape off. And then about five weeks later, they said, you know, you're in the running, but you do hear that and you think, okay. And then they said final two and I thought, okay. And then um, my agent said, you got the job. And I was, I don't think I, I don't think excitement was is not right. I think I was in shock. I just was like, are you sure? Are you sure you're sure? Are you sure? He was like, yeah, I'm sure. So then I just, I just thought about my year and what had happened and you just have to keep going. You really have to keep going. 307 tapes is a lot. <laughs> um, but that's, came through. that's a real number. Yeah, 307 because I put it in my email. Uh, Spike Gavin. Oh, it's also, it's on iTunes Friday as well. Thank you. Spike Gavin's my name. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. Um, I just want to say thanks in just here. Oh, okay. Thank you. In 1992, before social media and everything, I managed to watch Do the Right Thing back home. Um, Travelled to New York, went across to um, Spike's joint over in Brooklyn. Had a photo with you at the Garden in 1992 and 93. Fast forward. Did the Knicks win? Uh, they might have back then. Fast forward now to 2015. You won both games, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. All right. Glory day. Uh, fast forward to 2000. We lose 16 in a row back then, huh? Um, I, I just want to say the impact and the influence you've had on, uh, on somebody from Melbourne, Australia, and a whole different culture has been massive. So now as a grown man at 46, it remains. So thanks. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And I still have yet to be to Australia. I've been to many continents, but I've still not been to Australia, but I will make it down there. How you doing, Spike? Uh, I'm a big fan. My name is Brandon Jones. Came up here from Charlotte today. Uh, I'm really 
like your movies and everything, but I'm also interested in your ad campaigns, especially with Nike. And um, you're working with two big icons and Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan. And wonder if you can maybe speak briefly on each of them, something real interesting that you know about them. Well, what a lot of people don't know that Michael Jordan was born in Brooklyn. Michael Jordan was born in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, Fort Greene. And there's a hospital in Fort Greene called Cumberland Hospital. Who else, who else was born there? Bernard King, Albert King, and Mike Tyson. All born in the same hospital in my neighborhood in the Republic of Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> Is Brooklyn in the house? All right, always. You go anywhere in the world and say it's Brooklyn the House. And you get that response. Mike's, were you a Q? Q dog in the back? All right, I see you. Anyway, uh, Mike's, uh, both those guys, wonderful. I knew my, I know Michael. I mean, my friendship was Michael, but Michael Jones was way more developed than uh, Michael Jackson, but quick story. He called me up one day. There might be some people who've heard this story before, but if so, forgive me. Hello? Mike speak to Spike? <laughs> who is this? Michael Jackson. I hung up the phone. <laughs> Call me again. Hello? I said, who is this? Michael Jackson. I said, hung up the phone. Third time. Spike, don't hang up the phone, it's me. <laughs> so I'm not gonna imitate MJ anymore, but long story short, he had a, he had a new album CD coming out called History, and he explained to me that was gonna be half it was gonna be, one CD was gonna be greatest hits, and the other CD was gonna be new songs. And he, was, he wanted me to fly out to LA so he could play me all the new songs. And my daughter was just, had been born. I said, I can't leave. So I come to New York. I said, Mike, I live in Brooklyn. He said, okay. I said, Mike, I live in Fort Greene. And this is for non-gentrified Fort Greene. So I'm coming anyway. So he flew in the next day. First his man, cased the house, went up and down the stairs. He was all right, came in. My wife Tanya had our daughter Satchel. She said, can I hold, can I hold her? And Michael held her and blessed her and kissed her and Tanya took her upstairs and then Mike gave me the, we went in the, we went in the living room and he gave me the CD. He says, Spike, I'm gonna play you all the new songs and you have to pick one. I want you to direct the video, but you have to pick the one song. So he plays me all the songs. You know, Mike's the greatest ever, all the songs I love. And I said, Mike, it's hard for me to pick one. So you have to pick one. So I, I chose Strange in Moscow. And he flipped. He said, no, 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 you can't use that one. <laughs> you got to do, they don't really care about us. Why don't you tell me? <laughs> I would have done it. You didn't have to ask. And so that's when I got that deal. We should go to Brazil to shoot it. Use the group Ola Doom. And here's a story that not a lot of people know. We shot in the favela of St. Martin. And at that time, that was one of the most dangerous places on earth. And there was a drug lord there. And so I had to ensure Mike's safety at all costs. And so I didn't do it, but 
a woman named Katiana worked out the deal, and the man was a huge Jackson, was a huge, huge Michael Jackson fan. He said, "When Michael Jackson's here, this will be the safest place on earth. <laughs> you can put a million dollars, equipment, whatever you want. No one's going to touch anything." And then Katiana befriended this guy. And that's how the movie that's how the movie City God happened. Because of the Michael Jackson video. So that shows you Michael Jackson's power. That movie would not have been done if we had not gone to that favela to do the video. What's good, Spike? Right What's here. Up? What's up? How you doing? Good. Um, I just want to say, as a young black filmmaker, it's an honor to be here and hear you speak. And Ms. Zara, uh, congratulations on your success in your career. Uh, and my question is, um, what inspired you to become the great filmmaker that you are? And in this day now, um, what other filmmakers inspire you? Well, I didn't grow up wanting to be a filmmaker. I grew up wanting to play second base for the New York Mets. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You're from Japan, too. But genetics conspired, had the heart, but not the physical tools. And I discovered this at the young age of eight years old. So I uh, went to, uh, used to be called, now it's called Ronald Edmonds, but back then it was, uh, was uh, Simon F. Rothschild, junior high school. Then I went to John Dewey. Anybody went to Dewey here? You went to Dewey? We had a talk, because I, I knew you were familiar. <laughs> yes, you finished. I finished a year ahead of you. So then, I, then after finishing John Dewey, I went to Atlanta to go, go to Morehouse. It was expected I'd go to Morehouse, because my father and grandfather went to Morehouse. My father was a senior when, when Martin Luther King was... Uh, my father was a freshman when Dr. King was uh, a senior. And... My mother and grandmother went to Spelman, which is right across the street in Atlanta. These are two, two great, great historic black colleges. So my first two years, I was a D plus C minus student. It wasn't because I wasn't smart, I wasn't motivated. Just was just floating. And I came back Thank God for the summer of 1977, which changed my life. Which ended up doing a film about that summer later on, the Summer of Sam. Came back to New York, Summer of Sam, New York City was broke. There were no summer jobs. Up to that point, if you had a work card, yet you work in papers, as a youth, you could always get a job. There's a famous Daily News front page that says, Ford, the city dropped dead. President Ford. The mayor at the time was Abe Beam. So I didn't have a job. I mean, I, I was coming back to New York, you know, get some money, get some clothes. So when school came back, I'd be, you know, had to go back to Atlanta in September, I'd be all right. But anyway, no jobs. Nobody has any money. It's just bad. And I have a friend, her name is Vieta Johnson. We grew up together. And she was always smart. She went to Stuyvesant, so you know she's smart. And when we were in high school, she said she's going to be a doctor, which she is. She went to Stuyvesant, went to Princeton, and became, went to Harvard Med School. 
Anyway, one day I went to her house. Vieta was fine back then, too. But I was smaller than I was in school days, so I was quarter pint, not even half pint. So I was a little brother, she should pat me on the head. And one day I went over there. She lived on University Towers. You know what that is? Between Willoughby and Myrtle, an Ashland place. Rang a bell, thank God she was there. Went up to her apartment and we were sitting in a bedroom and in one corner of the bedroom there's a, there's a box. I say, what is that? She has a Super 8 camera. So you want it? No, nah, I'm going to be a doctor. Why do I need a camera for it? You can have it. In the other side of the bedroom is a box, another box. I said, what's that? I said, that's the film for the camera. Take it. So the rest of the summer has something to do. And that was the summer for it. 1977 was the first summer disco. So every block, you hook up your turntables, the speakers, the dance was the hustle. I was filming that. Then there was a blackout when black people in Puerto Ricans went berserk. Black people in Puerto Ricans went berserk. I filmed the looting on 125th Street. I filmed it on Fulton Street in Brooklyn. Choice items were color TVs, white Clyde Fraser Pumas, <laughs> and Pampers. And then you had David Berkowitz, son of Sam. So I had all this footage, went back to school, and decided I want to be a mass communications major. Morris didn't have that major. I took those classes across. The, I took my major across the street to Clark College. Yeah. We got Clark in the house? Yeah. And there's a professor who still teaches there today. His name is Dr. Herb Eichelberger. And he was the one to encourage me to take this raw footage and put it together. And so I, I took the, the whole semester, I edited the film, it turned into a documentary called Last Hustle in Brooklyn. Second semester, I showed it to my class, got a great response from my class, and then, I, then that's when I decided I want to be a filmmaker. So from that moment, my junior and senior years, every class I got was A+. Plus. Sophomore, and not just my major, every class A+. Plus. Because now I was focused. Before I was drifting, wa uh, wandering in the wilderness. Freshman, sophomore year, as I said before, D plus C minus student. When I decided I want to be a filmmaker, I said, I'm going to make it if it kills me. Did my research. I knew that I still need to learn my craft more. Applied to the top after graduating Morehouse. I want to go straight to grad. Want to go straight to film school. Did my research. Applied to top three schools: AFI, American Film Institute, USC, Southern Cal, and NYU. To get in the AFI and USC, you had to get an astronomical score on the GRE test. I did not get that score. But luckily for me, there were more forward, progressive-thinking people in the graduate NYU program who said that you don't need a GRE test to get in. You just have to, with your, you have to submit a creative portfolio and have a college degree. 
And that's how I got in. And that's how I met Ernest Dickerson, Ernest and Ernest Knight, bonded together. Ernest came from Howard. I'm from Morehouse. You know, we're rivals in football, but, you know, we were only two, we were four black people there of that, of that class, like 80 people in the class. So Ernest and I bonded. And the thing that was interesting, listen to his, listen to me, please. Ernest and I come from a generation where your black parents told you you had to be 10 times better than your white classmate. 10 times better. We knew that. We knew it. We knew that we were just as good as them. That was not going to get it. And, and earlier, in grade school, I get an A. My mother would say, how can you get an A+. I know your Jewish classmates are getting A+. Plus. <laughs> I said, Mommy, that's not fair. I said, life ain't fair. And so we come from a generation where your parents told you. You didn't tell them. They told you what you had to do to succeed. And things not set up, have not been set up in this country for us to see as a people. That's why we have to be 10 times better. It's not fair. That's just the way it is. And Ernest and I were examples of that. Hi, my name is Carrie, and um, I wanted to know what was the most challenging part in remaking the 1973 film? The most challenging part was getting the. Is that you, Randy? What's up? That's my man, Randy, as I shot out before. Randy is edited the film. <laughs> NYU grad up in the house here. Did a great job. He's done a lot of stuff for me. If you might have seen the piece we did on Ray Allen, a.k.a. Jesus Shuttlesworth on ESPN, he cut that too. Uh, the most difficult thing about this film was raising the money. For anybody out there considering crowdsource, Indiegogo or Kickstarter, it is no joke. You are not going to reach your goal you come in there half-stepping. We were working 30, we had to work, we, our goal was 30 days, we had to raise 30 days, and Kickstarter, if you don't raise your goal, you get nada. So our goal was $1,250,000 in 30 days. And we had to bust our, bust our culo <laughs> for the bilingual people here. Mad culo to make that goal. And if you don't come with the plan, people want updates. People aren't, aren't just give you the money, give you the money. They want to see what you have to give them in return. I mean, that's the deal. They're not getting an investment per se, but they want something. So you should really think long and hard of what you're going to do. Also, do a survey how much you think you get from friends and relatives, and that help you, you know, help you determine the number. But that raising, we were, we were getting like five hours sleep for 30 days, because we could not, failure was not an option. We had to get that money. Hey Spike, I'm Hannah Delapena. I am applying to the NYU graduate program for the, for Where'd you fall. go to undergrad? City College. Okay. Yeah. You applying for in September? Yeah. I applied already. 
Yeah, but my question to you well, is... Well, when did you apply? I applied. I applied uh, the deadline, uh, December 20... The day of the... On the deadline you applied? That's when I submitted it. I'm sorry. So you submitted the last day of the deadline? Yep. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Why, why you do it like that? I'm sorry. <laughs> well... Anyway, uh, <laughs> there's no anyway. So when when they when they tell you supposed to, when are you supposed to hear back? Oh, I don't know. I didn't. I, I have to check. I'm afraid. I'm <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yo, you don't even know. You, you don't even have an idea when they're gonna tell people when they got in or not. Yeah, I have an idea. They're telling you um, around this time, <laughs> the spring. <laughs> I was, what did you submit in your creative portfolio? I submitted a small video about a little girl and another video about a poet, another little girl. Any written material or just... Yeah. Writings? Yeah. We actually met <laughs> the week before I submitted. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> and I told you put on time then, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right. What's your question? My question is, what advice can you give to a young actress, director, who wants to direct um, Power to the People movie? Make it deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wh what's this new genre? Power to the People? Power to the People movies without being blacklisted or COINTELPRO. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean by... Power to the People movies. Like, I mean, like, uh, movies like For the Young Lords and for the Black Panthers and for, uh, I don't know, Fred Hampton. <laughs> documentary? Because there have been documentaries about those subjects. Are you talking about narrative films? N narrative films, yeah. You got to write a script, got to do the research, you get the rights, you got to make it. But that stuff is still uh, relative. What was the thing, the mixtape, what was the title of that? Uh, Black Power Mixtape. That was amazing, yeah. right? Even John Ridley says so. So there's so much of our culture from the from the 70s which still is yet to be uh, unearthed. And, and you know, me and John getting up there, we're going to keep making movies as long as Kurosawa, but we still, he was in his 80s. But it's going to be somebody sitting out here in his audience, the new heads, the young jacks, you got you to keep it going, you know? But you got to do your research. You got to do your, your history. You got to know. You can't come up thinking you're inventing new shit that's been done already. But you, you can't know that unless you do your research. You got to watch cinema. You got to watch, you have to know all world cinema. You have to know Japanese cinema. You have to know Italian neorealism. You gotta, you gotta know about French New Wave. You gotta know about Oscar Michaud, Gordon Parks, Melvin Van Peoples, the films of Michael Schultz, when he directed Richard Pryor, when Richard Pryor was the biggest star in Hollywood. You should know, you've seen, you've seen, have you seen Cooley High yet? Yeah. All right, I mean, you gotta, you gotta do your research. I mean, film is a tough motherfucking business. And you want to come up there and style and profile, that ain't going to get it. 
you know, you might have a very, it's not, it's, you might not have a, 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 a long career. And hopefully anybody wants to get in anything, you want, you want to be in it for the long term. Because only by being the long term can you build a body of work. If you do one album, one play, one novel, one film, how's that a body of work? Unless you're Harper Lee, and your one thing is to kill a mockingbird, then you can say, fuck it, just sit back. <laughs> say what? But Harper Lee is an exception. So I want to thank everyone. Everybody, John, John, come here for a second. Come up here for a second. This is my man. Please stay. He's coming right after us. First of all, Spike Lee has done more for me than probably anybody in the film business. And I've been very, very fortunate to know him. I actually grew up with his wife. But I'm telling you, being around you, Spike, very sincerely learning from you and everything that you've taught, either me directly or through film, has absolutely been phenomenal. And one thing, I mean, many things you said today, it's knowing film and appreciating film and film from all over the world, because I don't think enough people study film and appreciate it as a language because it's storytelling. So thank you for everything. And please, see, download, share this film, because it's phenomenal. And please see American Crime when it comes on ABC. Yesterday, John previewed episodes two and three, and the shit is bananas. <laughs> bananas. Zara, thank we got to so go. Much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.